2 Samuel chapter 2. After this, David inquired of Yahweh, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? Yahweh said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? He said, To Hebron. So David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. David brought up his men who were with him, every man with his household, and they lived in the cities of Hebron. The men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. They told David, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were those who buried Saul. David sent messages to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, Blessed are you by Yahweh that you have shown this kindness to your Lord, even to Saul, and have buried him. Now may Yahweh show loving kindness and truth to you. I also will reward you for this kindness, because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. Now Abner the son of Ner, captain of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth the son of Saul and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and over the Ashurites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. The time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. Joab the son of Zeruiah and David's servants went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. Abner said to Joab, Please let the young men arise and play before us. Joab said, Let them arise. Then they arose and went over by number, twelve for Benjamin and for Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of David's servants. They each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into his fellow's side. So they fell down together. Therefore that place in Gibeon was called Helkath Hazurim. The battle was very severe that day, and Abner was beaten, and the men of Israel before David's servants. The three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab and Abishai and Azahel. And Azahel was as light of foot as a wild gazelle. Azahel pursued Abner, and in going he didn't turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is that you, Azahel? He answered, It is. Abner said to him, Turn away to your right or to your left, and grab one of the young men and take his armour. But Azahel would not turn away from following him. Abner said again to Azahel, Turn away from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I look Joab, your brother, in the face? However, he refused to turn away. Therefore Abner, with the back end of the spear, struck him in the body, so that the spear came out behind him. And he fell down there and died in the same place. As many as came to the place where Azahel fell down and died, stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. The sun went down when they had come to the hill of Amar that lies before Gaia by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. The children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one band and stood on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Don't you know that it will be bitterness in the latter end? How long it will be then before you ask the people to return from following their brothers? 
Jarab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely then in the morning the people would have gone away and not each followed his brother. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the people stood still and pursued Israel no more, and they fought no more. Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah, and they passed over the Jordan and went through Bithron and came to Mahanaim. Joab returned from following Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, nineteen men of David's and Azahel were missing. But David's servants had struck Benjamin and of Abner's men, so that three hundred sixty men died. They took up Azahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was in Bethlehem. Joab and his men went all night, and the day broke on them at Hebron. So David does what he always does, and he inquires of the Lord. And the Lord says, go to Hebron. Now Hebron is one of the most important cities in uh, the area of Judah. And Hebron's still a city in, the, in Israel today. You can go to Hebron, it's almost a kilometre above sea level. And I, and I think it's part of the, um, I'm just trying to think, it's part of the uh, non-occupied uh, settlements. So I think it's, it, I'm pretty sure it's uh, got the Palestinian occupation or whatever you call that there in it. Uh, but Hebron today uh, it still exists, and it's a, it's a very historical Bible city. It's where uh, Abraham had lived. and So David goes there with all of his men, and the men of Judah appoint him as the king. But at the same time that that happens, Saul has a remaining son, Ishbosheth, who's 40. Now, I don't know why Ishbosheth wasn't in the battle with the other three sons, but for some reason he wasn't, and the commander of that army, Abner, appoints him to be the new king. But the weird thing is, he gets appointed as king in Mahanaim. Mahanaim is a place, it, it appears a few times in the Bible, it's, a, it's one of the places where Jacob stopped on his way back from Aram with Laban. He stopped at Mahanaim. And, but this is across the Jordan River. And so it's so odd that that's where he is king. You know, it's the only time, as far as I know, that the kings are set up over there. Now, why is that? It's because the Philistines have just defeated them in the north of Israel. The Philistines have actually conquered huge, big chunks of the land uh, all through Jezreel. And, and so they have to actually move their capital or their, their base, I suppose, their base of operations away from the Philistines to a safe area that they're still controlling. So if you think that David's in control of Judah and Ishbosheth is in control of all of Israel, it's it's more complicated than that because the Philistines are in control of huge, big parts of the territory. Now, you remember that David's a friend of the Philistines. Remember King Achish of Gath and David were friends. <laughs> and so what happens here now is that the, the southern tribe, which is cut off, the Philistines go through the middle and cut off. The southern tribes come to David and say, you be the king. And David's technically friends with the Philistines. I don't, at some point that all breaks down. I don't know where that does because David does fight them later. But in the north, the Philistines have got a huge big chunk of land. So Ishbosheth becomes the king of Israel, but he's not physically controlling the whole land that we would normally associate with Israel. He's actually across the Jordan at Mahanaim. So it's, it's a much more complicated situation on the ground with militaries and politics than what we would really think. And... In this chapter, we find out that the, the, the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribe of Judah start to have a mini-civil war. So Abner 
is the commander of the Northern Army, and he's the guy that should have protected Saul when David snuck into the camp and stole Saul's spear a few chapters back. So he's still the commander of the army, and on David's side, Joab is the commander of the army. So you've got these two blokes that are both very strong personalities, both commanders of their army, and they, in this chapter, they bump into each other at the pool of Gibeon. And Abner says to, to Joab, let's get some of the young men to play. I don't know if this is like play fight or if it's real fight. It's, it's done for entertainment, but to what level the fighting was serious or not, I'm not sure, but it definitely turned serious because all of the men grabbed their opponent and like shoved a dagger in. It's the strangest story. And I guess all of them weren't expecting that to happen to them. They were expecting that this was more innocent, but they've gone out with their own skullduggery thinking, we'll get them. And from this moment, a little battle has begun between David's men, Jarab's men and Abner's men and only 19 of David's men die, but 360 of the Israelite soldiers die. And we have the beginning here of a little civil war. So it, you can see that things were a little bit crazy just here for two years. Ishbosheth was the king for just two years, and uh, his reign does not last very long at all. And um, so. We'll talk more about that in the coming chapters, but there's one thing I just want to mention in this chapter before we pray, and that is in this chapter, David hears that the people of Jabesh-Gilead buried Saul's body. Now, Jabesh-Gilead is also a city over on the other side of the Jordan. They've come through the night on a secret mission. We talked about it in the last chapter, taken Saul's body and buried it. And here in this chapter, David rewards them. Now, they are not even a city that's under his control. David's the king of Judah, he's got a patch of land, but Jabesh Gilead is not in his control. He rewards them for treating the Lord's servant Saul honorably. And there's a few things to say about this. First thing is that David is a picture of Christ to us. And whenever we honor the Lord's servants, even if they're not perfect, the Lord rewards us just as David did here. But another thing that's worth remembering is that David, he has... Um, trying to think of how to describe this, but I'm going to call it a parish mentality. <laughs> there are different types of ministers, and there are ministers that look at their congregation and they think that they're only a pastor to the people in their congregation. That's as, that's as big as the scope is. Now, sure, they want to evangelize and they want their congregation to grow, but they're only thinking of the people out there as, you know, you only evangelize them, um, but then you've got to get them into your church and then you be a pastor to the ones in your church. But there are other ministers who have this what I call parish mentality. And this is a little bit of like how the Catholics think. And they think that a minister has a parish. And the parish is the whole area that he ministers in. Usually it's the local city or the local town. And they, they see the, pa the pastor or the priest as ministering to all those people. So it's not only about being an evangelist, it's about representing Christ to all those people, you know, being a pastor to them. So they, they think that their job, if you had a parish mentality, you see your job in a much bigger term, and you look at everyone out there as someone that you represent Christ to. In other words, you're a minister to them. If something bad happens to someone out there in your community, you go and be a pastor to them, just as you would if something bad happened to someone in your own church. 
And so David does this. He looks at the people of Jabesh Gilead and, and they're outside of the territory of Judah, but he treats them as though they're a part of his territory. He, he's kind to them and he's gracious to them. He, another way of saying it is he thinks of the whole body of Christ. Sometimes there are pastors that only think of their own congregation as the church. But then there are other pastors who look at all the body of Christ as being all of God's people and they're willing to serve even Christians from other churches. And that is having the right attitude and the right heart towards all of God's people. It's something that we must adapt as well. And that's the reason why David is a picture of Christ. Because Christ came to serve all, not only to serve those who were in his immediate group at the time. Heavenly Father, I ask that you give us this parish mentality, but Lord, in another way of saying it, Lord, give us a heart for the whole body of Christ and give us a heart for all people. Lord, help us to be people who love and serve and pray for all, all those who know you, all those who don't know you, all those in our church, all those in another church. Lord, give us grace, I pray. Lord, change the body of Christ. I pray you take away this selfish attitude where people only think of themselves, only focus on themselves, only want their own church to do well. Lord, remove that type of thing. I pray you would cause your church to be strengthened in Jesus' name. Amen.